0: Welcome. On today's Truth Factor Discussion, we're going to begin our study through the book of Acts. In chapter 1, we're going to consider Jesus' instructions to his apostles, telling them to remain in in Jerusalem until they were endued with power from on high. We'll also be considering Jesus' ascension into heaven and how and who took the place of Judas. All that on today's Truth Factor Discussion. Paul, if you would, take a moment and let everybody know how they can participate in today's study, please.
1: I'll do that. I'm so excited that we can study together and that today we are beginning the book of Acts. And we're excited that maybe you will be a part of that study. And as you look at that, maybe you would uh, like to join in with us. And if you go to our YouTube page, which is YouTube slash Truth Factor Live, Uh, YouTube.com slash TruthFactorLive. You can make comments and ask questions in the chat there. You can do something very similar on Facebook at Facebook.com slash TruthFactorLive and join us there. And then if you're uh, possibly on Twitter, I think it's just TruthFactor is our uh, identity there. And we'd love for you to participate. You may also use email. Uh, It's a little bit slower. uh, But send uh, any questions you might have to questions at TruthFactor.com. And for any of us uh, that you might want to, at some point in time, contact individually, you can just take our first name at truthfactor.com. And so we hope that you'll join in our study and that we can uh, know what you have to say as we study along
0: together. Thank you, Paul. I appreciate that. Decided to hide a cable here. And Paul, look at your screen. What's What's at the bottom there still? Watch for the Twitter. All right. Uh, I'm, uh, I got the uh, <laughs> well, we, we, We've created last week a new Twitter handle that's called Truth Factor Live.
1: You know, I'm sorry. Uh, that is exactly right, John. And you and I actually talked about that, and we, we checked that out. And I went on, and, you know, it, it will be really helpful to you. Uh, if you will subscribe to our YouTube channel, because it will alert you when we are live. And uh, that would be beneficial. But also, if you would follow us on those different social medias. Yeah. And so Facebook, uh, Twitter are both now Truth Factor Live. Yeah. And so that would be fantastic.
0: I probably should have done that some months back Um you know, made our truth factor match up with all the other social medias because I had to do them differently in the beginning of all this. So, And I'll just say, John, that that it really
1: would help for folks to do the uh, YouTube. It helps us because we got so many followers. uh, It allows us to uh, identify that a little more easily. But also if we, um, when we do go live, then you get notified of that.
0: And we'd love for you to be a follower and uh, subscribe to our broadcasts. That's right. Be sure to click the bell. You have a subscribe and then a little bell icon, and that'll help remind you too. All right. So let me tell you where we are. Where we are beginning today. This is episode number two hundred forty-four. We're starting with Acts, chapter one, and um, we could do a brief overview of the book of Acts. Um, I'm not going to really spend much time doing that. It's kind of it'll self-explanatory, of course, as it unfolds, but. Acts is attributed just as Luke is to the writer of Luke or to the (laughs) Luke. We believe Luke to be the writer of Luke. And the reason why we say that is there's no specific. um, Luke does not refer to himself directly and say, you know, I, Luke, write this, so forth and so on. But there's some interesting evidence that strongly suggests that Luke was the writer. And I think there's uh, there was even it was accepted by the second century, if memory serves correctly that Luke was the author of both Luke and Acts. And so when we begin, we're going to see, in by way of introduction, Luke continues um, in his writing here in the book of Acts, picks up with a little bit of overlap with how he closed the gospel of Luke. And so we're going to be looking at that here this morning. All right, let's see. <clears throat> Let's go ahead and read. We're going to break this up into some shorter segments initially and then with the long one towards the end. But let's go ahead and look at the first three verses. And Brian, I'm going to have you, if you would, to go ahead and read that for us once I have it brought up on the screen.
2: Very good. I'll be reading Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. And I'll be reading out of the New King James Version as soon as you're ready.
0: All right. All righty. Go ahead the former
2: account I made O Theophilus of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up after he through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God.
0: All righty. Thank you, Mr. Brian there. Um, Brian, if you would take a minute and tell us a little bit about who Theophilus, or who at least we think Theophilus Theop- was. Absolutely.
2: Uh, frankly, we don't really know for certain uh, the identity of Theophilus, and there is some question whether or not Theophilus is in fact even a person. The name in Greek means one who loves God or one who is a f- of God, and it could, of course, be applied to anybody who is a believer in Jesus Christ. So some people think that perhaps the title is meant as a suggestion to any reader who is uh, interested in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, in the book of Luke, chapter 1, verse 3, that book also addressed to the Theophilus, gives him a particular title as the most excellent Theophilus, which seems to suggest it's more likely that he is, in fact, a person, and perhaps a person of some high standing. The only Theophilus that we're familiar with from that time period was a priest in Jerusalem. Uh, the likelihood that this is that person is is probably slim. But as I said, he is the only person we know by that name in that time period. So ultimately, we don't have a precise knowledge of who Theophilus would have been or if Theophilus was a person or not. Um, but it's not necessarily pertinent to the information being provided the recipient's name or the recipient's identity can still be anonymous and that that doesn't change anything about the material
0: all righty i think that's a very good explanation brian i appreciate that all right let's go ahead i've got another question that i want to bring up here and um this is more of an open question so i i thought it might very specifically actually before i do that Hold your thought, Mike. I'll throw you the question in just a moment. Um, I didn't mention earlier who who all had joined us for today's discussion. Um, We have Brendan. You are now back with us. Say hello. Hey. There you go. You got (laughs) to wave. You got to wave and say hello. And Mike is is back with us.
3: Glad to be back.
0: And Shelton is back with us. And as we pointed out before, Shelton is going through our training program here. You doing all right, Shelton? I'm doing good. It's good to be here. I need need to remember to zoom that camera in a little bit closer on you.
4: (laughs) Oh, that's okay, John. The closer you get, the worse it is for everybody else. So we'll leave it here. All right. All right. So um,
0: we've dropped into the chat room the question um, for the chat room to consider. And um, let me go ahead and take a moment and bring that up and share it for just a second here. So the, the question for the chat room, and you won't have long to think about it before we have to um, answer it and move on, but with the view that Acts 1, verses 4 through 11, is a retelling of what was recorded in Luke 24, 44 through 53, what does Luke appear to leave out of his first record, that is, the, the gospel or the book of Luke there. there? There's something that Acts records that Luke records in Acts that he does not include as he's closing the gospel account. So just kind of... Try to think about that if you would. So, Mike, do you have any thoughts or comments about the first three verses here of the the
3: introduction
0: here that we see?
3: Just a couple of things. At verse 3, these are infallible proofs. In other words, there's absolutely no doubt that what Luke records is the absolute truth. He was seen of the apostles, and as we know from 1 Corinthians 15, of above 500 brethren at one time, uh, he was seen of them for 40 days after his resurrection. And the things that he spoke all concerned the kingdom of God, which we understand to be the church. It's interesting to see that Jesus, after his resurrection, never appeared to anybody except believers. And people want to, of course, bring up Thomas in that. But uh, Thomas did believe just as soon as he saw Jesus. His mission was done. He had completed what we call the gospel, that is his death, burial, and resurrection. And now it's time for those who had learned the value of all that to take that gospel and share it with the souls that needed to obey it.
0: I agree. That's a very good point, Mike. I appreciate it. Um, Any other thoughts from um, any of the guys before we move on? All right. So let's go ahead and consider now the next section um, well, okay, here's the chat question we, we mentioned. Sorry, I'm, um, I'm, I decided to lead today's study, and I'm, I'm juggling and not doing a very good job at it. I might point out. So, well, what's missing between the, the two accounts when you look at the last part of Luke and the, the kind of the overlap? And the answer, when you when you and there's probably a couple of things you may have noticed, but one of the big ones was is that Luke does not record in the gospel the conversation that occurred with the angels when Jesus ascended into heaven. Uh, Luke, Luke records the ascension, uh, but it is Acts where Luke tells us about when the the angels or the two men standing there said, why do you gaze up into heaven? Do you not know that he will return in the same manner as he left? So we have the promise there of that. Um, and it's pretty, pretty significant there um, in that recollection. Um, You know what I just did, though? I jumped ahead a little bit. I think I probably put the question in the wrong spot. But I can live with that because we haven't even talked about that yet. All right. So let's go ahead and jump on into the next section there, verses 4 through 8. And um, Paul, since you have the first question, I'm going to have you to read that text for us. I'd be happy
1: to do that, John. We'll be reading Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. And uh, if you'll read along with me there, I'm reading out of the New King James Version. And it says, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not, not many days from now. And John, I think you uh, have a question for me, Uh, and uh, if I'm correct, it is wanting to know back in verse 4 who the them is uh, that were to receive
0: the promise of the Holy Spirit. Is that right? Well, it's more to what is the phrase baptized with the Holy Spirit referring. Well, I apologize. But before you answer that, before you answer that. I had read to who.
1: But uh, but you're absolutely right. When I look at our study notes, that it's to what is that baptism
0: referring? But go ahead. Let me introduce the chat question real quick. Oh, that'd be great. So the chat question is to what does the phrase Brian? Sorry, to what does the phrase "It is not for you to know times or season that the Father has fixed by His own authority," likely referring. Okay. So to what does the phrase "It is not like it is not for you to know." times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, likely referring. Now, I'll tell you, when I typed it up yesterday, it seemed like a really good and thoughtful question. As I read it again, I'm thinking, what? <laughs> so, Paul, to what is the phrase baptized with the Holy Spirit referring? What, what do you think about that?
1: Well, John, I think I'm going to go back and answer the question that I wanted to answer first. And because it's kind of interesting here, he just starts talking about uh he addresses this to Theopolis, and then he, he talks about uh, these things. And he does mention the apostles in verse two. <coughs> Pardon me, but as we look at that, he uses uh, pronouns them and and uh, looking them and they uh, as he looks down through here. And I think uh, just to give you a little heads up, uh, you might find an indication of who he's talking to if you go all the way down to verse thirteen. But to answer your question, uh, what is this uh, thing that's being referred to in verse 4 that they were uh, not to depart uh, and that they were to wait um, to be baptized with the Holy Spirit? And we would understand that there are some different measures in which the Holy Spirit was given. There were many that were given individual gifts. But here there was going to be an immersion in the Holy Spirit. And we're going to see in the next chapter uh, that kind of thing taking place where they would be able to speak and to preach the word of God without any thought. And they were given the message that God wanted them to uh, be given. And and the Holy Spirit would fall on them and and they would receive these tongues of fire. And uh, they were to wait until this very special, uh, powerful event. Uh, would happen to them that would be unmistakable as the baptism of the
0: Holy Spirit. Okay, so essentially what you're saying there is when Jesus makes reference to the baptism of the Holy Spirit is that which is is going to be happening on the day of Pentecost when the yes. Holy Spirit comes upon them. Yeah, um, I, I, I believe that's that's the case. Yeah. Well, what is interesting about this is John and Luke. Um, well, Jesus in Luke 24:49. Um, refers to the 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 promise there of the Father and told them there to wait there in Jerusalem. But it's interesting that in Luke three verse sixteen, John makes a statement. You know, he says, "I baptize with you with water, but one who will come will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with the fire there." And I believe the fire there's somewhat the judgment ultimately. But the baptism of the Holy Spirit that John refers to, I think, it's the same one that Jesus says, "Wait until wait in Jerusalem until." um you received this because then Jesus says the same thing for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy spirit, not many days. And probably depending on if this was, a if he said this the last day he was with them, it was only 10 days later that this was to happen.
1: Well, and back in uh, Luke 24, uh, Jesus himself said, behold, I send the promise of my father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. And there seems to be a, a connection with what Jesus said back then
0: uh, what he reiterates here and what's going to happen in acts two in in verse 49 of Luke 24. Yes.
1: Yeah. 24, 49. Yes. Yeah.
0: I think you're right about that. Um, okay. So let's see. So Tom, I've got a question for you, sir. Why do you think the apostles asked Jesus if he would store, if he would restore the kingdom of Israel at this time?
5: Well, I, you know, in looking at the apostles and they're dealing with Jesus throughout his life, there are obviously things they did not understand. Or another way of saying that they did not fully understand it, even as Jesus explained things to him. And clearly, at this point, even though there's reason to believe that Jesus has given them some understanding greater than what they had before. They do not have the complete understanding of everything that they're going to receive in about ten days when when they d- are baptized with the Holy Spirit, so they're probably still looking toward that physical kingdom of Israel and and at least in some ramification of it and so I think that that's the idea of what they're having here are are, are, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel at this time
0: so. okay um any additional thoughts on that? See, what I I know I don't disagree with you, Tom. When you think about everything that's just happened, okay, all the way from his resurrection, now he says, "Stay in Jerusalem. You'll be endued with power from on, on high. The promise of the Father will be fulfilled." And all this, everything—if they have any knowledge of the prophecies—and I'm thinking specifically of um, Isaiah chapter two, verses one through four—you know, they everything is lining up. And so to me it's an understandable question. You know, they they're seeing all the everything's lining up now. And so Lord, is is this the time? Are you going to now restore the kingdom? I mean it's been prophesied and all this is happening. And um and I really think that might have been their motivation. All the signs pointing to to a fulfillment of what, you know, like Isaiah two, one through four. Um any any of the fellows, you have any additional thoughts on that? All right, Mike, let me bring you into the study here for just a moment. So Jesus said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So what do you think this is referring to? And does it have anything to do with the apostles being witnesses?
3: It absolutely does, John. When uh, when you look at John, uh, the gospel according to John, chapters 14, 15, and 16, there are no less than three passages within those three chapters that Jesus says to his apostles, "The Spirit will empower you to remember the things that I have commanded you." The word witness simply means one who has seen and/or heard that which is. So, uh, mankind in his feeble mind hasn't got the ability to remember everything he's ever seen or heard, but with the inspiration of the Spirit, all. Can be brought to their remembrance. They'll be able to speak the truth, and in fact, uh, not too far into the Book of Acts, we'll find uh, Peter proving that when he says to the uh, to the magistrates, "We can speak the things that we have seen and heard. They are indeed witnesses to not only the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, witnesses to his miracles, are witnesses to his teaching." And yet to recall the accuracy of all those things, the spirit had to guide them into that remembrance.
0: You know, Mike, when, when you go back and well, I say go back in our next study, of course, we'll look at Acts chapter two. Um, and you see the description of the, the fire appearing as close as tongues over each possible possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we, we, um, we see clearly the Lord setting them up to be able to go and to be, a, and, and using the gift of, of tongues, okay, speaking of tongues, yes. would serve yes. as witnesses. And I, I agree with what you're saying. All this was preparatory to them serving as witnesses mm-hmm. to Him.
3: Yeah. Um, well, and, even the and remember ended. that they don't have a leather bound volume of the New Testament to take into Jerusalem with them. All they've got is the Old Testament. And the mm-hmm. mentality, Jews that they're going to first address, when they hear the word witness, as, as Peter will use in that first sermon in Acts chapter 2, uh, they're going to remember that Moses' law said that by the mouth of two or three witnesses shall all things be made known. Well, on that day of Pentecost, you're going to have 12 plus the 120 plus the above 500 brethren and so you've got uh, an abundance of those that can verify that what Peter and the rest of the apostles are speaking is absolute truth, just as we said at verse three, infallible proofs.
0: That's right. That's exactly right. That's a very good point. Um, but I have a very important question for you, Mike. Do you wear okay. all those all those hats over your shoulder?
3: Oh, are they showing up? Yeah, yeah they, I they wear look- them one at a time, but absolutely. Okay. <laughs> One at a time. I'm a multi-cap man, especially come summertime. If you want a free hat from Mike
0: Davidson, David, David's, David's. Oh,
3: well, no, wait a minute. Now now you're getting in my collection.
0: <laughs> All right. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. I, I appreciate that.
3: I'm having um, to do this from my kitchen because I, I'm just off limits of going too far, too far away from home yet. That makes so sense. So that's right. why the hats.
0: All right. Makes sense. Um, All right. Does anyone have any additional thoughts over um, the section here we've been looking at about Jesus ascending up into heaven and what he's saying to his apostles before we move on?
5: Yeah, uh, Mm -hmm. just real quickly, you know, verse number eight, it's worthy of reminding ourselves that in the second half of that, you have what we call a a broad outline of what we're going to be covering in the book of Acts it actually kind of breaks down real well. And it also is an outline of how the gospel was going to spread, beginning in Jerusalem and then into Judea and then Samaria and ultimately to the ends of the earth.
0: Okay. I agree completely. Uh, we do have a comment from the chat room in, that relates to the question that we shared, so I'll bring that up here. And there, here's the question again, to what does the phrase, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority, likely referring. And Gregory submitted the following. He said, uh, as far as times and seasons, responds to the idea of the kingdom come to Israel. Seems to me that it is a reference to his final coming versus the coming of the Holy Spirit. Uh, That's a very interesting point. I had not Put, I had not thought about it from that standpoint, but I think it does fit though with everything um, that we see here in that phrase that we uh, referenced. He says he references uh, what the that the Father has fixed by His own authority. Everything that is transpiring is done is doing so by the will of the Father by the authority of the Father, um, and so the, the the whether we're talking about the Day of Pentecost that is about to happen that has been established by the authority of the father. We go all the way back to the prophecy in Joel two, and and we see that as well as many other prophecies. Um, Or if we're going to talk about the end, when the Lord comes again to judge and we have the judgment um, upon all mankind, that again is established by the authority of God. So there is an underlying rule behind this, an underlying authority and all these things are happening by, and according to the, the will of God. So that's, um, I I think that's the point we're making there. And and Gregor, I appreciate your thoughts on that. All right, let's go ahead and continue on. Unless anyone else has another thought. All right. So in, okay, so here we are. Jesus has told his apostles you need to stay put in Jerusalem until the promise of the Father comes upon you, until you're due to till you receive the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And um, he explains he's not going to establish the kingdom, or I should, let me rephrase that. He never says that. What he says was, it's not for you to know when they ask the question. And his explanation to them is that you just, you wait here until you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Then you'll be my witnesses to all the earth. Now, um, did we read down, we read down through verse 11 while ago, didn't we? Just through verse 8. Just through verse 8. Okay, so let's fix that. Paul, you did the reading, right? I did. You shorted us some passages. No wonder this wasn't, and and I'm the one that said through verse 8. Let's go ahead and read now. Um Hang on just a moment. I knew I should have printed this out. No, I'm going to throw it to Brendan. We stopped where I had, had intended first to stop. And, um, Brendan, let's go ahead and read verses 9 through 11. Um, if my brain is appearing somewhat disorganized, I don't think I had enough coffee this morning. I'll be reading from New
6: American Standard.
0: Oh, hang on uh, a second. I got to change it for everybody. It's I got to grab a book out on the shelf and put it in front of you. <laughs> go ahead, Brendan. That's fine. <laughs> uh, verses 9
6: through 11. And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently in the sky uh, while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. And they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as as you watched him go into heaven.
0: All righty, I appreciate that. Brendan, so in looking at the short little section here, Brendan, what do you make of the statement that the apostles were gazing into heaven? Where were they? Where were they looking? How were they looking,
6: if you would? Well, it just it, it seems like they're dumbstruck uh, with you know this. Again, this has kind of been the reoccurring theme with the apostles is they had some understanding, but at the same time it seemed that they were still thinking too physical. I mean, this is shown by uh, their question about restoring the kingdom of Israel. Uh, They had some ideas uh, like Jews of the first century in the gospels that they thought the Messiah is supposed to be this physical King like David and is going to usurp Rome and all sorts of other stuff. And so this is kind of a a moment where perhaps something they're not expecting, even though it's been foretold about. um, And they're left just, Oh, Oh, Okay, this is uh, not what we had in mind. Um, anyway, that's my three cents on that.
0: <laughs> so they they weren't literally looking into heaven where God dwells. The reference here to heaven is more than likely up to the sky. Would you think that'd be the case? <laughs> yeah, and but I, I agree they're probably dumbstruck to kind of watch him goes up and um. I I'll, t- I'll tell you what it what it what it might have been like when we had our, our our first uh child when Rebecca was born um many many years ago now um I won't tell you I think she's 31 or something we won't mention that but anyway when she was born we go through all the process go to the hospital go back to the hospital come back with the kid you lay the kid in the basket and then you ask the question now what you know and and that's kind of kind of what we were looking at there uh, you know, now what do we do? Well, the apostles, now what? So they're looking up into heaven. He's gone. And it's like someone standing beside them said, you've got to get busy. <laughs> you know, you can't stay stay here gazing up into heaven. You've got to get, get on there with what you were doing. And um, so anyway, that's, that's kind of what I was wondering about that. And I, You answered the question there. Yeah. All right. So and then one more general question, because there's not much here to look at. There there are some, some who abuse this particular statement. They, um, There's just one belief that Jesus simply didn't ascend into the clouds and then go on into heaven, but some believe he ascended up on a cloud and rode away on the cloud to wherever he was going. But the idea, and, and when he comes again, the idea, you know, they think he'll be on the cloud and he'll be riding in on the cloud again. I think this is, is very, very simple. He went up out of their sight. And when he comes again, we'll look up and we'll see the Lord as well. Um, so for, for whatever that's worth, there. Um, are there any additional thought? Oh, are there any thoughts on the promise scene in verse eleven? Want to ask that real quick. When he says that the same Jesus was taken up into heaven, you will will so come in like manner as you see. Um, any thoughts?
6: Quick couple thoughts, John. Um, with our religious friends, uh, a, lot, a lot of them believe in the whole idea of a, a millennial reign that uh, there's going to be destruction and and all sorts of stuff on the earth before Jesus comes back again. Or some like our Jehovah Witness friends said that Jesus came back secretly at some point. Um, this verse right here deals a lot with that error. Is the fact that Jesus is not going to come again secretly. He's not going to uh, wait after some sort of period of Tribulation, he's going to come exactly the way he has come back exactly the way he ascended, which was a very public event, uh, multiple witnesses, uh, and it's not going to be, uh, like I said, it's not going to be something secret. Uh, it's going to be plain as day. Yeah, Brendan, I've never
0: quite figured out how they how they get that concept of secret because when you look at First Thessalonians chapter four or Second Thessalonians chapter one, I mean, there's a lot of I mean, obviousness about it. Um, Any other thoughts? All righty. Let's see. All right. Let's look at the next section here. Um, The next section is going to be Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 26. And this is the last section of Acts. Of Acts chapter one, of course, and this is uh, the choosing of Matthias. So, so we have a problem here. Jesus had picked out twelve apostles in the beginning. One of the apostles, the one that betrayed Judas, uh, betrayed Jesus. That is Judas Iscariot. Um, he died. He went out and took his own life uh, in extreme remorse over what he had done. And so, there remains only eleven apostles. And what I find it very, I find it very interesting. That there is a need to replace him. Um, and, and we're going to go with the understanding that one, this comes by the authority of God, that they were instructed to do this. Um, and the decision, as we'll show later, will of course be God's. He will, he will make that decision, um, through particular means there. But I've all found it interesting. And so it leaves the question why, but we'll, we'll talk about that here. Let's go ahead and do the reading. Uh, But before we read it, let's go ahead and throw out the chat question. Um, In choosing the replacement for Judas, who fundamentally made the decision? And how do we know this? And um, I kind of gave part of that answer. But the question for you is, how do we know who made the fundamental or the the final decision here regarding uh, choosing between Matthias and the other fellow? And we'll read about that. So Shelton, I'm going to have you, if you would, to read for us. We're going to begin in verse 12. And let's read down through verse twenty-six there of the text.
4: You got it. Uh, I'm in the New King James Version. New we'll
3: King start James. Starting verse
0: twelve. All right. Let me grab that book off the bookshelf. <laughs> All righty, and make sure everybody can see your wonderfully young and attractive face.
4: <laughs> okay. Starting Go in ahead. verse 12, it says, yeah. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women... Uh, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And in, the, in those days Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples, altogether the number of names was about a hundred and twenty, and said, Men and brethren, the scripture, this scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered with us, and obtained a part in this ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the wages of uh, iniquity and uh, falling headlong. He burst open the middle, and all his entrails gushed out. And it became known to all those dwelling in Jerusalem, so that field is called in their own language, akeldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of the Psalms, uh, his dwelling place be desolate, and let no one live in it, and let another take his office. Therefore, of these men who have accompanied us all, all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to that day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. And they proposed to Joseph called Bars- Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justice, and uh, Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, O Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which of these two you have chosen to take part in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And they cast their lots, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles.
0: All right. Let's see. I appreciate that, Shelton. Let me go ahead and throw the first question uh in your direction there. so how far was a Sabbath day's journey considered
4: to be? Uh, I actually found this really interesting. I never looked at it or uh, you know or or thought about it too much until you sent the the study packet out and i I did some digging uh into it a little more. I believe this is one of the only cases in Scripture where we have a definite uh place to place as far as on a Sabbath day journey. Um, and, and it gives the, of course, it gives to Jerusalem from Mount Olivet. And I believe looking at the maps and, and uh, scaling it out, that would have been a little over a half of a mile in this case uh, of, of what that journey would have been. But you have other instances mentioned, I believe it is in... um Exodus chapter 16, uh, that, that it is told uh, that the distance is is uh, said to be 2,000 cubits on the Sabbath day, that they are not to go beyond. Um, and, and so you have that in Exodus chapter 16. Another, another one that I, I found was in the provision uh, that the area belonging to Levitical cities included uh, land that extended from the wall out 2,000 cubits uh, on every side of that wall. And and we find that in Numbers Numbers chapter 35 and in verse 5. So you have different things there uh, that that state 2,000 cubits and the Sabbath day together as a journey that could have been taken. Uh, And I believe that's a little bit over a mile. Uh, So uh, as far as what would be acceptable journey on the Sabbath day, I believe, you know, it's originally mentioned however that that they're not to travel on the sabbath day at all uh but but in these cases, two thousand cubits or a little over a mile uh was what was what would be accepted but in this case I, I think it's just a little over half a mile from all uh from jerusalem uh to all of it.
0: yeah to to where they were
4: that's that's pretty
0: interesting um especially when you consider the additional old Testament passages that kind of convey instructions regarding traveling on that day appreciate that um anyone have any additional thoughts on that all right brian let's go ahead and bring you into the study now with a question and i want you to think long and hard about that there's a lot that rides on this Uh, (laughs) um what are your thoughts on the possible meaning of the the statement about jesus judas for he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry.
2: Well, it's important to understand that Judas was one of the 12 apostles. You know, uh, from our perspective, when we read the gospel accounts, we oftentimes are being told early on that Judas would be the one to betray Jesus. But from their perspective, they were unaware of that right up until the moment that Judas did so. Judas was a full participant of the of the work of christ he was a full apostle that means he worked miracles he cast out demons he healed the sick he preached the gospel uh he did everything the rest of them had done and so what peter is trying to make it understood is that he did a work that was the same as the work that they did and of course now they'd be looking for someone to step into that work in his absence as was authorized by
0: scripture all righty i appreciate that um I've often thought it was was interesting. I, I've heard teachers speculate, Brian, that, that the apostles might have been assigned or would be assigned specific areas in the teaching process. Um, maybe like on the day of Pentecost, where we have Peter speaking, maybe um, the rest of the apostles were all doing, you know, given the same message, but in different languages to the different individuals, um, possibly. Um, but when they went out, teaching and everything some have speculated that they had specific areas and with judas dying there was a hole in the plan well we do know that judas was
2: the one that was uh, at least had some charge over the funds that they collected so there yeah. there's some small testimony to that possibility in that statement about that work um One thing we might consider, too, is that even uh, today in congregations, we might have uh, assignments to elders or deacons, uh, the work that they do. And and we want to consider this a work just like uh, an elder is a work or an evangelist is a work or a deacon is a work. But this is a work that a man is called by qualifications to do. And that sometimes it might be expedient for those to be assigned to particular uh, charges or particular tasks in that work. So it certainly could be the case. Um, the only the only distinction we would probably make that we would say is not accurate is to say that they were each given a charge over a church or something like that, which sometimes is the denominational theory, which assigns the apostles different churches and the like. And we would say that that's certainly not the case, uh, but that they were all workers within that same within that same kingdom.
0: That's a good point, point. Um, and that's a good clarification. The text never makes that distinction. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Brandon, do you have a thought or question on it?
6: I was muted, yeah, just something real quick. Um, I was typing some of that in, uh, in the chat room, I think, uh, but might have been the wrong chat room. I've often thought and just looking at the scriptures and what it is, the office of the apostle was incredibly essential to the early church, but in the grand scheme of things was a temporary office and have from my understand it had a very specific purpose of them delivering. Uh, in part the inspired word of God, so that which is perfect, which is referred to by the apostles later in the general letters. um, It was there to give the structure for this infant church to actually grow up into some level of maturity to where at the end of the first century when the last apostle dies, we don't see a continuation of the apostleship. We don't see this continuous stream that that some teach. uh, That really when they're gone, the church is left in a mature enough state that it should be able to handle its own affairs. Now, sadly, from history, we find that it didn't take long for men to start corrupting the pattern. Um, But as far as, by the end of the first century, you had the revealed, you had the uh, inspired word in some form. Uh, The congregations have been strengthened enough where more of them have elders. And so really the work of apostle was was done. Uh, But that's just my three cents of, rambling thoughts there. So, so Actually, uh, Brendan, you're saying
4: Brendan is, is that the temporary apostleship wouldn't have been as far as in their lifetime, their apostleship would have ended. But as far as not passing it down to other men as, okay, you know, now you will be an apostle when I leave. Is that what you're trying to say? Right. Right. Okay.
6: The apostles had a very specific work um, and to earlier comments made. Why 12 was the important number. I don't have that knowledge. I just know that uh, twelve seem to be a pretty important number, and they have that psalm there that's prophesying about how one of them would leave, and another was going to fill his place. Um, right.
4: So I, I agree with that. Then, yeah, I was
5: just clarifying what you were what you were trying to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, there's a there's a a doctrine called apostolic succession. Uh, I <clears throat> that kind of factors into the Catholicism. Uh, using tradition as a source of authority, you know, and, and, and that's how they explain their, I don't know if you call it bishopric or, you know, you know, leading up to, leading up to the pope. And they use apostolic succession as a justification for that. But we're going to find in the end of this chapter here that that can't be the case when you look at what was required for one to be an apostle
6: and it's funny you mentioned that tom because the big problem with that doctrine is in order you have to first find the authority for it or first some sort of example and and we don't find that uh in fact there's a gap even historically speaking before uh after the last apostle dies and when we get the rise of bishops you know the, the perversion of god's pattern for the church and so if, if apostolic succession was a real doctrine you would think we would find documents in the end of the first century or second century or when one of the apostles dies that we would find somebody to replace him but we don't find that uh, yep. and to your point it's are mm-hmm. very specific requirements to be an apostle
0: go ahead brian
2: you know, there was one, one thing to add is that uh, Brennan had said something interesting about the uniqueness of the 12. And you guys are right on. And I'm kind of stepping into Tom's uh, comments that he's going to be bringing up here in a second. But that the only reason that Judas was replaced was because it was the prophetic uh, message of God. That's why later when James will die, that there is no replacement made for him in the book of Acts. Um, but what is interesting, of course, is the addition of Paul as an apostle. And I think it's kind of neat because, like Brendan said, 12 is an important number. So why do we have this 13th man? But we can also kind of see this with the 12 tribes. And Paul himself makes the comparison as one that came out of season, that there were 12 tribes, we usually say, but there were really 13. Um, and a lot of times we you know, don't consider that 12 that really meant 13 in the Old Testament corresponds nicely to the 12 that is really 13 in the New Testament as well.
0: Well, Brian, um, you men- I forgot you mentioned about James. Uh, once everything is settled down, there's only 12 apostles. Because James will be martyred and Paul will step in in his role as apostleship.
2: You know, and I, and I guess for some people, the question is, when was Paul brought out as an apostle? I actually probably agree with what you're saying, that it's Acts 13. Acts 12 is where James is put to death. Acts 13 seems to be where... Uh, Paul is brought in as an apostle. Um, so, it, you know, but in that sense, like I said, you, you might be right that in Acts 13, there's still 12 apostles to our knowledge, unless unless we consider Barnabas an apostle and in which then we're kind of thrown off a little bit again.
0: And that's... that's
5: Unplanned <laughs> territory, Paul, or Brian. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, sorry, sorry. I was going to say, and Paul makes it clear about his apostleship you know, what he is and that he's an apostle out of due season. He's yeah. he's not, you know, those kinds of things. So, I mean, uh, you can't use that as an argument to keep it going.
0: Well, well, Tom, go ahead and, and talk to us a little bit about the uh, two quoted statements found in this this passage here.
5: Yeah, yeah. In, in verse number 20, after we find the description of, of Judas hanging himself by Luke the physician, which is why he got some details, but anyways, uh, uh, it, it says it's written in the book of Psalms, let his dwelling place be desolate uh, uh, and let no one live in it. And the second one is let another take his office. The first one is from Psalm 69 and verse 25. The second is Psalm 109 and verse number eight. Both of these are Psalms of David. Psalm 69 is of particular interest because there's about three or four passages in there that are quoted in one way or another associated with the life of Jesus. But at the same time, when you read the Psalm, it's clearly not talking just about Jesus. It's talking about David and the sufferings that he endured. And uh, these are Psalms where David is calling upon God to help him deal with his enemies and basically to, to uh, defeat his enemies in their uh, in their efforts, uh, we were mentioning pre-show about an imprecatory psalm, which, which, which that means a, a psalm of God in which he uh, there's a call for God to basically, in, in diplomatic terms, to deal with one's enemies and, and and to let the world know that he's dealing with the enemies, and that's what we have in both of these cases here. Uh, uh, the main points taking place. Uh, let, his desolate, desolate, uh, let his dwelling place be desolate and let no one live in it. Uh, uh, Judas is buried in a pauper's field. Uh, uh, and another to will take his office, which obviously, uh, because of the needs of the 12 apostles as the church begins, uh, that's why we find that taking place. So anyways, that's these two Psalms.
0: All righty. Any additional thoughts or comments on that? Uh, let's see, Paul. Take a moment, if you would, and summarize for us the requirements that one had to meet in order to be considered Judas's replacement.
1: Oh, uh, you worded that well, John. Uh, there are some who make a distinction here between the original ones that Jesus walked around and, and called. Uh, to come and follow him, and successors, uh, so one to replace an apostle. Uh, and uh, there's some things that are mentioned here in verses 21 and 22. Uh, so, some have pointed out, as you look at that, uh, and I was trying to pull up my text here uh, and look at how the, the New King James uh, worded it. Um, some point out that it says of these men that it was a male leadership role that was uh, employed. Uh, that they had to have been part of uh, the uh, witnesses of what Jesus did, beginning, uh, first of all, it says when the Lord Jesus went in and out among us. I believe he zeroes that down to make it very clear that it had to begin with the baptism of John uh, to the day when he was taken up. So they were uh, around Jesus and witnesses of him uh, all the way up to the ascension and then witness of the resurrection. We know that it wasn't just the the original 12 who witnessed that, but there were many women. Uh, there were 500 at once. There were different ones that we read about being witnesses. And so that would probably summarize that up. People who were familiar with Jesus's ministry, uh, people who uh, obviously were believers, men. Uh, and uh, we see there that uh, certainly they had to be
0: witnesses of the resurrected Christ. Okay. Thank you, Paul. And it's, y'all have said a lot even going back to what Brendan Brendan was saying um, really emphasizing the very specific attributes of being an apostle in this case we see what the requirements were inviting the replacement and y'all talked a lot already and and has said it very very uh, done a good job pointing out that there is no apostolic succession you know that the right. the apostle served a temporary a temporary job Christ chosen for it. They did it. They died. The Holy Spirit continued forth with the Word, and and um, the Word endures until the Lord comes again.
1: Yeah, I didn't understand exactly what Brendan meant when he said that at first. I thought he meant that they only served for so many years, you know, like uh, elected officials do, or something, or maybe until they were too old to do the work or, or something. But uh, but I, I, I agree with what Brendan said that it was a, a temporary office. It was only. Yep for a limited time uh, that there were not going to be apostles in the second century, in the, in right. the third century.
0: So there's a church locally that uh, will be on TV sometimes in the, the local preacher or whatever he calls himself considers himself be an apostle. And so he calls himself, I'm apostle, whoever, you know, so Mormons right, also see.
2: do that by the way,
0: but oh, anyway. they do. I forgot about that. The 12, they supposedly have 12. Is that, is that right? I'm not sure. I uh, just read
1: briefly a little history of that. Yeah. Uh, and that they, they claim apostles.
6: Yeah, uh, it's, uh, they have the Quorum of the Twelve, which is headed by the president. And then there's Bishop. It, actually, I've seen this in studies. I haven't had the chance to do this, but you draw the hierarchy of the Catholic Church. And then you just erase the names of the Catholic Church. And you can put in the Mormon names for their offices. And it's exactly the same hierarchy. I've I've seen that before, yeah.
0: Um, and that that launches a whole discussion about Joseph Smith and his authenticity. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So let me ask a wonderful question. Any final thoughts or comments from any of you on what we were just looking at? I know there's probably more we could talk about, but any anything you want to bring in regarding this last section? Anybody? <laughs>
3: Uh
5: just the fact that when it came to choosing, uh, they left it up to God. You know, they, they did yeah. cast lots, but they said a prayer to God as they did it. Uh, so obviously this is God's choice.
0: Okay, Tom, you just dealt with our chat question. So let, let me bring okay. it up real quick. Um, the chat question was in choosing the replacement for Judas, who fundamentally made the decision and how do we know this? And Gregor, I'll throw Gregor's comment up, and then Tom, I'll throw it back over to you. Uh, Gregor writes, the final choice between the two qualified was left to God, using the same method God ordained for Aaron in choosing the scapegoat sacrifice in Luke 16, uh, Leviticus 16, verse 8, the casting of lots. There. <laughs> um, so go ahead, Tom. Any other any thoughts on that?
5: No. Uh, uh, I, I apologize for stepping over the question. I should have let I should have let the chat room answer that first, but. But but that That is is a a clear observation and and a point to make that this is the hand of God. This uh, Matthias taking his place. And I believe it was necessary because it had to do with the beginning of the church in Acts 2.
1: I don't know if uh, Proverbs 16.33, when it was written in the Old Testament, that this was in mind or not. But Proverbs 16.33 says, The lot is cast into the
0: lap, but it's every decision from the Lord. So...
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. And, and that, Paul, that pertains to uh, very specifically those times when God wanted it. Um, casting lots yes. today would not yield an answer from God.
1: No, <laughs> no, I wasn't uh, suggest- suggesting that. But there were things that were done in the Old Testament yeah. uh, that were used uh, human means, but they depended upon God to give the outcome of that. And, and this is one of those situations. And Tom just said the Urim and the Thummim in our chat. And that's yeah. what I had in mind.
0: That's right. All right. Any other thoughts on this? All right. So that is Acts chapter one. Um, appreciate so much your willingness to join us for the study today and to go through this study. If you're watching this at a later time, um, be sure to, to contact us. We have solidified our social media uh, status um, by creating Truth Factor Live on both YouTube and Facebook as well as now Twitter and so you can contact us either way especially if you're watching this at a later point in time we would love to hear from you so let's go ahead and real quick any final thoughts or comments on Acts chapter one and let's start with you Brendan nope okay not worth switching (laughs) over to you uh (laughs) Brian any final thoughts
6: no nothing
2: for me either it was a great (laughs) step, Mike
3: I appreciate the study very much. I, I would just add this one thought. Throughout this apostleship, this is God's design. And uh, the, the thought that it closes at chapter 1 with that Matthias was numbered with the 11. That noun, the 11, will become extremely important when we start chapter 2 and look at pronouns. And who receives the Holy Spirit. This is all God's doing. It's not man's. It's a good point. Good point. Uh, Paul, any final thoughts?
1: No, I appreciate uh, that we've had some interaction today. I know Gregor is real faithful about uh, joining with us and appreciate that. And it has some very substantive comments. And all the guys on this panel, uh, I benefit from our study together each week.
0: Very good. And
1: Shelton, any
4: final thoughts? No, I really enjoyed it. Can't wait to get into chapter two. Hey, John, I do have a thought. Mm
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, I understand that you have something pretty big to celebrate in your life that uh you uh you and Rhonda are grandparents once again. You know And I you bet you that? don't even have a picture anywhere in the world of this new grandbaby that you could share with us. <laughs>
0: well it's funny you ask that um and we're gonna do this really, really old school. Um Sorry, I can't remember where I put the picture.
1: Uh, John John is not a uh, one-time grandfather. I believe this makes number four, and then he has number five coming later this year. Uh, he and yep. Rhonda, and so, uh, so here, I know Michael. Mike, Mike is a grandparent, and so here we go. Oh, looky there!
5: Oh, Aww. Aww. <laughs>
0: So yeah um her, her name was Adela- Adalind ADALIND Fay and uh, she was born to my second daughter Sarah and her husband Travis and that's well, congratulations the John thank you appreciate yeah. it and my third daughter Hannah she is due in July and so i know we're happy for her and Matthew and um we're going to find out tuesday what uh, the sex of the baby is so looking forward to it thank you paul appreciate you bringing that up um, and so tom we saved the best for last any final thoughts or comments
5: well uh no we've done well today thanks everybody <laughs> for right. the right it's been a good study
0: all right well thank you so much for joining us for our study today we went a little bit long but we started a little bit late we'll try to do a little better next week next week we're going to be looking at acts chapter two and um, i'll go ahead and lead the study one more week and we may have to break that up into two different, two different weeks. Uh There's a good bit there. We, we need to kind of really focus on part of our focusing on some of the things we choose to focus on has to do part to help us have a better understanding, obviously, but it also helps to prepare us in when individuals mis abuse Bible passages. Um, I was watching a video earlier today of, of an atheist and, um, he had a, he had a bunch of reasons why he didn't believe in the Bible. And what they were are reasons why he didn't believe in religion. And what it was is people who abuse the Bible. People who will twist and prefer Bible passages and call it religion. Well, it, it would be like me saying, I, I, I am opposed to science because of those flat earthers. You know, people believe the earth is flat, therefore science makes no sense. And, and that's kind of what he's doing. It's not a true, Let's consider what the Bible has to say. And and that's what we seek to do. And even if it means we have to take a couple weeks, we will. And um, so hopefully you'll be able to join us again next week. And our study, we will continue at 11 o'clock a.m. Central Time next Tuesday or Wednesday. Yeah, if you're in the Eastern Time Zone, that'll be noon. 9 a.m. Pacific Time. And 10 a.m. Mountain Time. Anybody got anything special?
4: I looked it up on the moon, John, and there's not an actual time. It's just they just manage it in days. So if you are on the moon, it's the 27th year of moon time. <laughs> okay. That's it's
0: <laughs> right here at live. That's factor and on the moon.
5: Com. Have a wonderful week. <laughs>